We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, Hornets fans, and welcome back to another BuzzBeat. This is Richie, and I'll be joined by Brian today. We are live on our Facebook page. We're live on Twitter video, and you can interact with us there. If you haven't listened to the previous episode, I put together a solo pod where I talked about some of the younger players like Svee and JT Thor, Kai Jones, and surprisingly, James Booknight is putting together a string of games that is pleasantly surprising. And... Um, if you haven't had a chance to listen to that, go back and give that a listen. I feel like it turned out pretty well. Brian, how's it going on your end? Oh, uh, I'm all right. I'm all right, man. How about you? Pretty good. Pretty good. And I, I know you're going to look down upon me on this, but I didn't watch a single second of the San Diego State UConn game. It, it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't exactly an instant classic. Uh, so you're quite all right in doing that. Why was it so late, man? Like, I just don't understand. Like, I feel like that wasn't the um, college football championship a little bit earlier. I feel like I actually can't remember. Yeah. Um, like a like a sweet spot. Like it was like seven or eight, but this one being at like nine o'clock, just too late for me. It's a late start, and uh, the game itself wasn't you know super competitive. So, but uh, you know, ultimately, like it, it got like a little tight down the stretch. Uh, San Diego State. You know, I kept it close enough, but uh, ultimately UConn, just uh, too much firepower. I mean, it, it's a really good UConn team, and it's one of those where I've I've had this conversation with a few people now recently where, you know, UConn was checked in as a four seed for this tournament. But, like, if you go back and look at any of the measurables for this team, point differential, adjusted efficiency margin, or net rating, whatever you want to call it, they beat every opponent every non-Big East opponent, and they beat all of those teams by double-digit points. They won every NCAA tournament game by double-digit points. And, you know, we're going to look back on this team in a couple of years and also see that it has – it's going to produce three, four NBA players. And so just it's going to basically have all the indicators of a, like, historically dominant team. Um, so even though there was a four next to them – I really do think this was, uh, you know, a big time team stamping what was uh, an awesome season uh, for the Huskies. Yeah, I do this thing in my class every year. It's not, it's not a bracket, but it's like, um, 
the students have to pick five teams and it, they are like budgeted like a thousand dollars and each seed is like a different like uh price range mm-hmm. and so you, you get to choose obviously you can't choose all the one seeds that you got to kind of have to spread it out and I, I wiped the floor clean of my third graders because I picked UConn. I was the only one in the class that yeah. picked <laughs> So because they made it like it's it's not it's kind of like a bracket. Every round you get a certain amount of points. Um, yeah. A lot of kids picked like Duke when they went out early and stuff like that. But right, right, know, it's, 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 it was a pretty cool like budgeting uh, activity to do in the classroom and make it feel like it's somewhat school related. But since, since we're on the topic, I figured I'd ask you about one or two guys on that UConn team. I don't think. Charlotte would consider any of these guys, even if, you know, maybe Charlotte fell back to eighth or whatever, but give me the lowdown on Jordan Hawkins. Like all I, all I know of him is that he has the potential to be a good two-way player, which is always a good thing. But other than that, just like reading off quick profile numbers, I've really got nothing on him. Yeah. I like Jordan Hawkins a lot. Um, Liked him coming into the season and he played himself into the first round. And then with this tournament run, I think he solidified himself probably as like a maybe even late lottery, mid first round type prospect, best movement shooter prospect in the country. Uh, hmm. Explosive, explosive movement shooter. Has all the tools as far as like reading his defenders, setting guys up, using screens. He plays in this really creative offense at UConn that utilizes him quite well, but does a really nice job, you know, exploding in and out of screens. Uh, again, the, f- the footwork is very good and he is incredibly explosive shooting off the catch, coming off screens and shooting off the catch. Um, I'm not sure I've seen too many prospects that have the ability to kind of like elevate um, shooting off of screens the way Hawkins does. And he's able to use that gravity to then just be a dangerous off movement player in general. You can see him as someone that can, that can cut, get downhill, use those vertical cuts to, to slash a little bit. And he's got some like one, two dribble pull up shooting and uh, playmaking in those situations as well. Like he's not just a pure, pure catch and shoot player though. That is certainly what he, um, what he does best. And yeah, the shooting numbers for him this season in terms of like just volume is pretty unbelievable. 39% shooting on, on threes this year on over 15 three point attempts per 100 possessions and 89% free throw shooter. And for a guy that is primarily a jump shooter still gets to the line, like not an insane amount, but a pretty, a pretty impressive amount for a guy who over 60% of his shots from the field uh, were threes this year. He drew over four fouls per 40 minutes. And I looked this up last week, so the numbers have probably changed a little bit. This is when I went on the uh, the Checking Darts uh, draft podcast, and we did a big deep dive scouting report on Hawkins. And if people are looking for more Hawkins information, I would recommend uh, checking that out. But Hawkins drew 23 shooting fouls on three-point attempts alone this season. And I think that speaks to his motor running around screens, the leaping ability that he has coming off screens. He just really puts you through the blender if you're having to chase him around. Decent size, not you know, not super long, not necessarily like a breakdown ball handler with the basketball either, but really a tough player and a guy that has a skill set that you know, you're probably ready to copy, could copy and paste on basically any team. You know, if you think about how Charlotte has used Terry Rozier the last couple of years, it's that kind of 
Um, I mean, I know it took Rozier several years in the NBA to, to, to become this caliber of movement shooter, but ultimately the hope is for him to become that kind of offensive offensive player. And given his, he, you know, he's obviously bigger than Rozier, and he has more defense. He's got some defensive upside. So, um, but yeah, I like I like Hawkins a lot. I mean, I don't think he's going to. He's probably like he's he's going to land in between the Hornets' two first round picks. You know, like what wow. they have with Denver, and and certainly you know what is hopefully going to be a top top three pick. You know, hopefully number one pick, number two pick, but. Um, Hawkins had a big postseason. He had a big sophomore year. He's an older sophomore. Um, so maybe that, that puts a little bit of a, uh, a little bit of, uh, uh, dirt on a, on a star that's really been rising, but nah, he's got a skill set that fits in the NBA, big time movement shooter. And, uh, and a guy that I think really projects to be a strong, uh, rotation player on the, on the next level. And he's not the only prospect on that, on that UConn roster, but he's going to be the, uh, the highest draft pick of the bunch this year. Yeah, I was wondering if he could fall to that late first round, but it sounds like the Hornets yeah. were going to get him. They would have to, you know, they have some second round picks that they can package together with that, you know, wherever Denver lands late in that first round. So maybe that could happen where they package like the 28th and the 29th pick in that early yeah. second round. If they wanted to do that, they could probably. I mean, that, that late first round pick, I mean, there's one other UConn guy, you know, Andre Jackson is someone who, I, maybe even with this postseason run, like maybe he's played himself safely into the top twenty. I, I probably can't get quite there with Jackson, but because he, you know, he's a, he's a, he's a wing that can't shoot. So like, there, that's gonna that's always gonna be like one of the the knocks on him. We even saw in the matchup with Gonzaga. Gonzaga put Drew Timmy on him and just sort of sat back in the paint. Um, eventually UConn found some counters to it and also got Timmy in foul trouble, but Jackson does pretty much everything else. Well, he's an incredibly functional athlete, explosive athlete, big time defender and sort of like slid into this like wing point guard role for UConn this year and was very successful doing that. He's an incredibly heady player, heady passer, great court mapper, good feel for the game. Um, and does a lot of things really, really well. Um, but until he like gets a, you know, a, a, you know, a pop shot, a catch and shoot three, he's, you're going to have to just, you're going to be a little limited in the ways that you can use him. Um, doesn't mean there aren't things. He does so many other things. Well, it's not that you couldn't find roles for him in the NBA. So I don't know. He's maybe a guy at least for at this, at this stage, to just kind of keep on the back burner for that late first round pick, but I don't imagine him, you know, that's just at this point, it's sort of hard to forecast out because a lot of things have to fall into place. And then the third guy, and this is someone we'll probably have more time to talk about leading into 2024, but Donovan Klingen, their freshman backup center, uh, 7-1, incredible offensive rebounder, incredible shot blocker, really, really moves well for a young center. It could even like face up and do some stuff in the at the elbow too. So he looks like a guy that's going to be in NBA rotations for a long time as a rim protecting drop center uh, that's also pretty mobile. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. All right, so let's get to some of the Hornets topic. I guess it's more of an NBA topic. So we're not going to be chatting about the the Raptors game, but we will look into some of these new elements of the new CBA. And I guess there was some kind of like verbal agreement that they wanted to get some kind of negotiating done by March 31st. But actually, in the early hours of April 1st, which was, I believe, Saturday morning, there was a deal that was struck. It's for seven more seasons, and it actually starts in the upcoming season of 23-24 and when you look at this, just like a quick overview, you can tell that the league is trying to stop load management with some of these changes. They're trying to curb the spending of some of the teams that are in the luxury tax. And I just want to go over a couple of elements that I thought were interesting, and then we can just talk about those and if they even relate to the Hornets. Some of just don't apply, Charlotte. <laughs> Not right now. You you don't think they're going to be spending above the second tax apron any uh, anytime soon, Richie? You don't. I, I don't that? think so. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, this is for seven more seasons, so we'll we'll see. But yeah, I want to start with the uh, the sixty five game requirement. I, I thought this was interesting for a player to win the MVP or to make an All NBA team you've got to meet that 65 game mark and you look at the two mvp candidates this season probably is going to be Jokic or Embiid. and you know this season they wouldn't necessarily have been affected by this rule i think a bead will probably get there but there have been seasons past where there have been some borderline issues with mvp caliber players getting close to that line and so when i first saw this i understood why they were doing it but I'm not sure it's like the best way to go about it. I, I think that load managing is is somewhat necessary a lot, you know, with some of the higher caliber players and stuff like that and just the toll that it takes on the body. But 
I feel like you just leave that up to the voters to consider. Like if player A has played 60 games and has a higher impact than player B who has played like 75, 80 games, then I feel like that's just all part of the process and the debate. So I wonder if this is going to get a little bit sticky. I would hate for a player not to, you know, win the MVP or make all NBA because of this requirement. And I, I, we'll see if this actually changes anything when it comes to some of the players, I don't know, Kawhi Leonard or whoever, who just yeah. tend to be resting more than playing. I, I don't know. What do you think about this? Yeah. I mean, I, I share a lot of your concerns, Richie. Um, and it does, it, I just think it sort of comes down, it, what, what it will come down to is how much of a sticking point those games are. Like, is it actually a hard requirement? It just seems like there's going to need to be some type of wiggle room one way or the other because this will just have such a tremendous influence on the way the way you know a variety of postseason awards are taken into consideration, especially the big ones, All yeah. NBA, MVP, Defensive Player of the Year. I mean, some of these things also have like a huge say into you know a salary. Uh, yep. The ability to sign um, the largest contracts in the league, you know, are, are dependent on on some of this, you know, all NBA or MVP stuff. So, you know, it's and it, I think it also sort of takes into account, maybe doesn't fully take into account, is that like depending on if a player rests or sit or whatever, like often the the team is the one making those decisions too, uh, as far as like load management goes. So, I don't think even all of those decisions are are player driven. And I just think it's really going to come down to how stringent the, you know, whomever is like enforcing this, I, you know, I guess the league is it's cal- as it's sending out ballots, but just like there have to be some exceptions that are, that are going to get made. I just, I, I don't see any way around that, but if you're going to make exceptions, well, then it feels like, well, how are those exceptions legislated? You know, it just feels like you're, you're at, that like you're going to bring even more, into the situation by saying uh, either 65 games is a hard sticking point or it's not. And if there is some gray area, well, then how is that, how is that gray area determined? How is it enforced? How do you make that equitable? Like it's, I mean, I see what they're going for here, but this is, this does sort of feel like a, um, a misguided step towards trying to curb that uh, a little bit. Yeah. And I think, you know, what if, what if someone was legitimately out and injured and they only played 63 games? Like so, that? so I do think there's going to have to be a difference between like players who miss time for an injury or for a suspension or for load management or for someone like Damian Lillard. That's that they, that the Blazers shut him down for the season, right. As they're trying to tank. So like, again, this will go into these gray areas we're talking about, but yeah, it's just, again, I think it's inviting, um, perhaps a lot of like uh, unintended uh, frustrations and consequences. I think it was Anthony Edwards earlier in the year. And I, and I really appreciate his quote when he was talking about how like certain fans go and they only have X amount of money and it might be the only game that they could go to all season. And when you have Mm -hmm. players sitting out for no particular reason, it can be frustrating. And he just wants guys to play, 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 which I do appreciate coming from Anthony Edwards that I've always liked him. Uh, coming out of college, and I think when he said that, it 
it it hit home to me. Like I just I feel like that's true. Like you know you got people that only go to one game a year. They they feel like they're going to go see this big name player, and it ends up happening that they are on a back to back and they rest the guy. Yeah. So it, it is a give and take. I, I feel like the the season is grueling and it's taxing and stuff like that. But also too, like if you can play, you probably need to get out there and and, and try to play. Yeah, I get. I mean, like my thing is, I will always. Uh, I do come down on team. Uh, like reduce the regular season. Yep. Which they like, you know, they absolutely could do that, and is you know essentially still have a way to you know not drastically throw off the way team building is constructed, or you know ensuring that you're getting a you know a long enough of a regular season to get some type of sample and some sort of. Uh, uh, an, enough game action to sort of like sort out the best teams, et cetera. But, you know, the, I also just don't think that will ever happen um, given how the number of games are tied to, uh, you, you know, are tied to television contracts and, and revenue. And so I don't know if they're doing, they've done things in recent years to try to like uh, curb tanking or make the regular season more entertaining. You know, like we've got the play in for a couple of years now, we're going to have this in season tournament. There's now something, there's now this 65 game sort of like soft cap in terms of guys who can, or, you know, can't be considered for end of the season awards. And it's like, it's all these things that are sort of like dancing around the exterior of the fact that to like get guys to play in a harder, a larger percentage of games. I just think you would need to play fewer games, but that's not going to happen. No, it won't. <laughs> it feels <Yeah. laughs> like, it feels like the league is trying to curb load management, but it feels like the players are trying to fight back and saying, Hey, you know, this, this season's too long, you know, or at least some players feel that way. But yeah, yeah. You, you mentioned the mid season tournament. I feel like this is a very polarizing thing and it's yeah. kind of been in the works for a couple of seasons. And you just never know how it's going to work. Like, is it going to be separate games off to the side like they do in soccer with like the FA Cup and stuff like that? But what's interesting thing about this, and I actually don't mind this idea about it, it the, the, the games are not really any, there's not any more games added to the season, it doesn't sound like, because they're baked into the regular season play. So right, right. it was what, like in November or something like that, they start these pool play games and um, so if the extra worry there is the extra amount of games, it doesn't seem like that's going to be the case, but it feels like the games are counting for both the regular season and it's also counting for the tournament in these, you know, first month or two. And yeah, I think, I think maybe probably people think that this actually counteracts the idea of load management, <laughs> but it's not, it's not any additional games. It, there's, there's yeah. also an incentive for the winning team. If that feels like an incentive, uh, I think it was, a prize money or whatever, but yeah, yeah, me, me, I actually don't mind this idea. Like it feels kind of radical, I guess, but to me, I, I don't really care. I don't really we, care about it. We'll get used to it really quickly. Like we already have with the play in and that felt I yeah. think radical at, at one point in time. And, and now it's just a part of the tapestry of the league. Like we'll get adjusted to it pretty quickly. I do think if the way I interpret it correctly, that the two teams that ultimately play in the championship for this, I think we'll end up playing one extra game. Yes. Yeah. They'll play like an 83rd game. It just, I don't think the numbers, the statistics from that will be counted towards anything, anything like if uh, like sort of like the play in, like in this sort of like limbo uh, period. Um, but yeah, yeah. In theory, it's not, it's, it's 
it's no extra playing time for, uh, you know, 28 of the 30 NBA teams. Right. And I guess what I don't understand, I get pool play because you have a schedule. You just play the teams on the schedule. But then yeah. when you have the eight teams that advance to a single elimination tournament, how did those games not count towards like extra games? Like, is it yeah. like, I don't know. Are they going to make the schedule on the fly? Like, I, I don't understand how that works out logistically, but yeah, I mean, I guess if you're, if you're, if you know, you're going to play, uh, you know, I mean, you know, before the season starts, you're playing X, you're playing every team in the league. X number of times. And obviously that, that varies depending on conference and, and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, I guess you'd have to like add factor in, bake in some wiggle room into that just from like a logistical standpoint. But, but that's also, if that is the case, like if, again, if you and I are interpreting that correctly, that's also like, kind of like, that is a little uh, interesting, a little bit of a twist because you know, Richie, how many years have we done for years now? We've done the like season preview episode where we just like look at the schedule for the Hornets. Right. And it's, it's, it's a little weird to think about the possibility of that not being set in stone. Um, but yeah, I, I, at this point among it's un, it, I, at least for me, it's unclear, like how exactly they're going to, they're going to navigate that. Do you think that this like in season tournament is going to have the same appeal or do you feel like teams are going to like celebrate this thing? Like, I mean, not, not like the NBA finals by any means, but do they feel like they're going to, I don't know, respect this thing enough to like go for it, I guess. But I guess it's, it's regular season games. They're going to probably go for it regardless, but yeah, like I, it's one of those things where I don't, it's like, there's no way it can be obviously like, there's no way people can take it like as seriously as the playoffs. Like that's the ultimate, you know, everyone knows uh, the NBA playoffs, spring rolls around, summer rolls around, those things get cranked up and it's just, it's the peak of, of, of hyper competitive basketball. I do think there, like, I do think though, like team, I think it maybe like will surprise fans or even people on teams, like how seriously some teams end up taking this. Like I'm sure some, some franchises and some players are going to uh, maybe blow it off a little bit, but you put some fi- some financial incentives into this, a trophy, uh, bragging rights, just like the com- like the hyper competitive nature of everyone who plays in the NBA. Like, uh, I'm not going to like underestimate uh, the, the like sort of like competitiveness and the drive that some teams are gonna are uh, are gonna put into this. But in, in, who knows? Maybe because it's also happening earlier in the season too. Maybe that, maybe that, like guys are just more fresh or something like that. Like maybe that also adds to the the prospect that guys are going to you know take it. Players and teams are going to take it seriously, but certainly that that remains to be seen. Can you imagine the Hornets like doing really well? (laughs) They are the top eight. They advance to the knockout round. And they go make a trade to be, to, to bolster their bolster. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's uh let's don't give them any ideas. Yeah, uh, Richie, that'd be interesting because I feel like in soccer they have this thing called like cup tied, where if you play with a team in a uh, knockout round, you can't be transferred to another team and then also play in that same competition, which is interesting yeah. to me. Not not that NBA teams would think that way, but. The only other item on the CBA that I'm interested, at least from a Hornets perspective, is the two-way contracts. I don't know if you read up on that, where mm-hmm. it's I mean, it's, it's simply just adding two, going up to three two-way contracts. And yeah, yeah if you're not if you're not familiar, uh, listener, uh, f- f- about two-way contracts, it allows 
the Hornets to sign players uh, at the 16th, 17th, and now the 18th spot on the roster. And they have the ability to play for both the NBA team as well as the G League affiliate in Greensboro without really having to sign this specific player to a full-time contract. And I think Maladon and McGowan's are the two ways right now. So I think adding a third player to this type of deal, especially for a team like Charlotte, who really needs to depend on some of the younger players in, in the G League affiliate. And also, too, like NBA, other NBA teams couldn't, it's not like they could really sign Bryce McGowan's because they are protected by Charlotte. So it seems like a small thing, and may, maybe it is a small thing. Maybe it doesn't make that much of a difference. But I think for the immediate future for Charlotte, when they're in this mode of collecting assets and trying to figure out what young players work for this team, I, th I think it I think it does make a little bit of a difference. I think it, when they're at the point to where they rely a little bit more on their veterans, obviously, it doesn't make, make much of a difference. But uh, I, th I think it matters now for the Hornets. Yeah, it does. I mean, if if you take it seriously, like it's another, you know, pretty valuable roster tool, um, especially for a team like Charlotte, that's smaller market, trying to rebuild, operate on the margins, hopefully with a little more savvy uh, going into the future here. Like I do kind of wish it's ultimately like I, I am uh, a net positive in terms on the, the addition of two A players to the NBA. Uh, part of me is also just like, I, <laughs> I do wish these guys could just like be full-time NBA players too, and then reap the yep. benefits of playing on an NBA, you know, roster. Like they're in this kind of weird uh, space that, that can be very good for them, but um, does sort of like manipulate their service and their financial situation uh, for a period of time. And you're getting, you're just sort of like at the mercy of some of these, of these 30 um, NBA teams. But no, I think ultimately that that like the league is so so talented. There's so many guys playing in the G League or on two way deals that are incredible players. And so yeah, getting more talent or being able to have more talent in the league in some way, shape, or form, I think is is a good thing um, on a league wide level. And and also certainly for the Hornets, it, it can be uh, you know it could be it could be could be quite valuable. So. Um, this again, that's assuming, you know, they continue to pump resources and time and, and money into having the G League affiliate and be, you know, a real like, you know, farm system minor league team. Because if that's the case, and I don't think once you once you start doing that, I don't think you ever go back to not doing that necessarily. But the two ways become like the real bridge between those things. Um, the, the, that's the connective tissue between uh you know the nba team and its g league affiliate so yeah having more of that i think is uh, again net positive is there anything else that you want to talk about with this cba anything yeah. else that there, there there were there were a couple of things by this point people listening to this have probably listened to um some breakdown in some way shape or form of the second apron um the second tax apron um so that's going to be 17 and a half million dollars above the tax line um, and sort of like the what the, going above that second line will trigger, and so I don't. We don't need to go too deep into that because again, that information it's out there. It's been out there for a couple of days, and it's been done by by guys that are um, you know studying this, the NBA salary cap um, at a, at, a, at a, an advanced level. And I'd love to have if Spencer could have been on here today. It would have been yeah. fun to kind of maybe dig into that a little bit 
more with him. But some of the other things that I think are is like a little um, a little bit interesting has to do with some of the other uh, mid level exception notes. So for the first time ever, the the taxpayer mid level exception will trigger a hard cap. The non taxpayer mid level exception will increase by seven point five percent. So this season for the 2022-2023 season, the maximum starting salary on a non taxpayer mid level contract was like $10.5 million, just underneath that. The cap room mid-level exception, which was given to teams that operate below the cap, will be increased by 30%. Um, this season, the max starting salary for that was uh, about $5.5 million. I also think this is interesting and something that you know we'll, we'll factor in for the, the Hornets, uh, I think on a pretty direct base. As, as this stuff starts to get like you know smoothed in, and I guess, I guess at this point we don't quite know yet like, you know, when stuff's going to hit, how it's going to be phased in, et cetera. And certainly, like, even if stuff doesn't directly apply to the Hornets in the short term, like, we know that there's only 30 of these teams. And just given how interconnected everything is, it's like, if you push something here, it's, something else is, you know, gets affected over here. It's, just, it's all tied together. But But here's some other stuff that I found to be a little interesting. If you don't use your mid-level exception, uh, you're going to be able to trade into it, basically using it as like a trade exception. And given how large that number will be for next season, like maybe around $12 million uh, for the for the non-tax mid-level, that's a pretty like large number. Like that, that could be a pretty useful like uh, roster building tool. And then something else that I thought was kind of interesting too, like Richie, you know, we've talked about this plenty of times going back years now on the pod, but during the Mitch Kupchak era, and we've seen other front offices do this as well, but Charlotte has routinely used parts of its non-tax MLE mid-level exception to sign second round picks, right? Like, because you can yeah, get yeah. that third year, you can get bird rights. Um, they did this with Devontae Graham, which we know then eventually turned into a sign and trade, which now is Mark Williams, by the way. I believe they did this with Cody Martin too. There, there was a couple second round picks, right. guys, that they used this with. But now the league with this new CBA is going to have a second round exception. So this is going to be an exception that's separate from everything else you have to draft a second round player, sign that player to a three or four year contract. That money doesn't have to come out of your mid-level exception, right? Um, So you retain players, good, young, drafted and developed players, and you don't have to touch other exceptions. So I, I think for a team like Charlotte, that has a lot of that, not like a crazy surplus of picks, but has it has a good number of picks to its name and has shown some success drafting out of the second round. I mean, look how many second round guys are on this roster now. Uh, that that is that is a useful thing to have going forward, both in terms of unused MLE as like a, essentially like a trade exception and the second round draft pick exception. It, all parts of this CBA seem to sort of like indicate to me hammering home the point that like it is critical for Charlotte. And then we're talking about the Hornets here because this is the Hornets podcast, but just like how crucial it is to build through the draft. Like it's just, if you're willing to, if you draft well and you're willing to, to retain your players, they're, they're giving you incentive. There are incentives here for you to do that. Um, and, and I think that is sort of like the ladder out of, you know, being a, a lottery, a team in the lottery, a team that's routinely, uh, you know, not making the playoffs. Um, 
There was something else I thought was a little interesting too. What was the thing about players investing in like other? Did you? Read yeah. That somewhere? So, like so yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's crazy. Yeah, I mean, so yeah. So players can invest in teams, and the way that I've understood this so far is that players will basically be able to buy into private equity funds. Um, and those equity funds will have been bought into multiple teams. So that way it would, I, I guess in theory, it would sort of like, um, portfolio. yeah, but just also like there would, it would maybe like, uh, there'd be no sort of like conflict of interest or seemingly, you know, yeah. no, yeah. no contact of interest. Um, and you could only invest in funds that have pieces in multiple teams. I'll say this though, like I'm not sure. I fully understand how this one works. Like, are, are NBA owners and governors like are they selling portions of their teams? Like I don't like I don't totally. Uh, when and how can players cash out? Like um, <laughs> it's one of the things. Like I don't. Like, it's like I just don't know if this is going to be like a huge financial boon for the players. That said, like I could see why this would be something that the players' association would be interested in because even as NBA salaries have skyrocketed. Just since you and I were do, have done the pod together, Richie, and, and we'll continue to, to jump going into the future as a, another media deal will we'll hit the league, you know, team values have have jumped you know, percentages far larger than this, right? So it's like I could see why players would say like, well, we're the ones contributing to this. We want a piece of that pie, but I, I'm not entirely sure like how that, you know, will we'll, uh, we'll necessarily unfold. Another thing that I thought was kind of interesting – was uh like in terms of like contract extensions so under the under the current cba most veterans could only sign extensions that increase their salary by 20 percent in the first season of the new deal um and this has been something that was maybe going to cause issues for boston celtics with jayla brown or the atlanta hawks with dejounte murray um that 20 percent figure has now been bumped up to 40 percent um, so I think that's, you know, that's, that's a, that's a, that's a little interesting and certainly maybe something that could be, a, be a team building concern for the Hornets at some point. I also thought, uh, they changed this too. all rookie scale extensions can now last up to five years. Um, previously rookie extensions could only for only for max players could go up to five years. And so now that's, that's been changed. And I think the way this is applies to the, the Hornets is something that's, uh, uh, you know, looking at this in retrospect, but you know, the Hornets, they agreed to uh, an extension with Kemba Walker, right? Um, Kemba's in the 2011 draft. His extension kicks in for the 2015, 2016 season. That was a four year contract for what? $48 million. It was like one of the best value contracts in the yeah. NBA. Cause Kemba's making, yeah, you know, $12 million a year while he's, an all-star guard and one of the best pick and roll offensive players in the entire league. Well, like because Charlotte signed him to a non-max rookie extension, they, it could only be for four years. So they, they ended up having to, to trade him and like, who knows, like, you know, who knows, even if the Hornets could have agreed to a five-year rookie extension with, with Kemba. And I, to be clear, I think that, I mean, that extension would have been from the, not even the current CBA, but you know, the one, the one before that. But um, I think that one's a, a, you know, that's like a little interesting. Like it doesn't maybe apply to Charlotte right this second, but I mean, the, what are they doing with Kemba and then ultimately trading him? That is one of the like absolute defining moments of since the team returned to Charlotte. The other thing I would say, 
uh, last, probably the last thing here, and then then I'll uh, I'll I'll see the floor to you if you have anything else you want to mention. But just would just be the NBA draft portion of this. Uh, one and done rule stays in place. You know, in the end, neither side, the, the the teams, the owners, and the players had much interest in in shifting the rule. I think this was something that, for a period of time, the players were sort of invested in in seeing it it struck down. But now the 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 players' association, that union, is arguing on behalf of current players. So even though you know top prospects that are in high school right now are probably eventually going to be a part of this union, they're not. They currently aren't a part of it. And so you have no one in that room, sort of like you know, arguing on behalf of those players right. because the current players' association is saying, well, if you add more guys to the league, that's fewer jobs for our our current pool of uh, members. So I think that's a little bit interesting. You know, for years now there were murmurs. I think basically since 2016 that there was at some point we might get a double draft. Right, that there they one and done would would get struck down. And then all of a sudden there would be this one draft, whether it was 2025 or 2026, where you would get, you know, the, that crop of one and done players. And then also the next high school class that was just graduating high school that year. And so you would have this, what, what could potentially have been like a huge influx of, of talent directly into some of these NBA rosters and who knows, maybe there were some NBA teams that were, were planning for that. Maybe some of these teams that were stockpiling picks had had visions of sort of maybe capitalizing on that. Or who knows, maybe this was sort of more of a uh, – maybe this was known to be unlikely to happen uh, and has been for some time. So, so maybe I'm, I'm reaching a little bit there. But, you know, it does also sort of seem like with the advent of, of name, image, and likeness money in college basketball, and we're only, a, you know, a year and a half into that, the G League Ignite, the advent of that, you know, we're in year three and that that continues to grow and it's going to have, you know, after having Jalen Green go number three, two seasons to go, I mean, Scoot Henderson's probably going to go number two in the draft this year. Um, and he's been a part of that program for multiple seasons now and guys can make upwards of a million dollars in terms of salary. They can get sponsorships. I mean, Scoot Henderson already has a shoe deal with, uh, with Puma in place, I believe. And so, and, and then there also there's something like overtime elite with the Thompson twins. And yeah. those are guys that are going to be on the Hornets radar uh, coming into the, the 2023 draft. Basically like there was sort of this like less of a like moral financial concern for the league. I think to strike this down because these, the top, top players are, or, or not even just the top, top players, but because even some of the guys that are really, or some of the, the, the men and women that are really getting paid a lot of money in college basketball, like not all of them are like, the surefire pro prospects, but they're just like big time stars at marquee programs. Oscar Sheebway, Armando Baycott, Drew Timmy, et cetera, guys that are making seven figures uh, playing college basketball now. So I think that's, you know, I think that's a little interesting. And then there was one other thing, which was all players that participate in the draft combine will be required to undergo physical exams and the results will be distributed to select teams that draft in the range of when that player is projected to be selected. So you know, I'm kind of curious to see how that, how, how, how that shakes out. Yeah. In this change, you know, it's going to make it, it'll basically make it harder for agents to sort of like hide and selectively I, move around the financial information or pardon, not the financial, but the, the medical information of, of their clients as perhaps a way to sort of direct, you know, where those players uh, could end up going. So who knows like what that means for the the future of, 
uh, of something like the combine um, in, in a bunch of different ways. But again, just as a team like Charlotte, that's going to have to be building through the draft. That, that was one other thing that sort of jumped out to me. Yeah, you dug way deeper into this than I did, but I appreciate <laughs> giving all the information yeah. to our listeners. I, I mean, I knew about the apron stuff, but some of the other stuff that you said uh, more recently, I just did not know yeah. about. It's interesting. I think, you know, a lot of the team building mechanics that can go on now with these different rules, it's going to be interesting how the Hornets try to utilize that moving forward. I, I think some of these moves feel aggressive, but I think with anything, I'm more of like a wait and see type of approach with a lot of these things. Certain people just come out with such strong opinions one way or the other on these. You <laughs> yeah. know? Yes. It's like, let's yeah. just, let's just take a step back and, and see how it works. And obviously these things are <laughs> not like, they're not finalized per se. I, I feel like these are just the, yeah, the initial yeah. ideas. I think, I feel like in the coming weeks, it's going to be solidified. So. Yeah. I mean, this document, it has not been ratified yet. Right. And like, I mean, I think it, it, it will. I mean, they, this is this is the way things are. This is the way negotiations work. But yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. There was definitely a time in my life where I felt the need to like, you know, it's 2017. And I just felt the need to like react and weigh in immediately on everything NBA or basketball related. And uh, I don't feel the need. I don't feel the need to be uh, immediate about it these days or react quite as strongly. I mean, for something like this, that is so bulky and is 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 complex that yeah a little bit of patience and, and uh waiting for things to trickle out and more information to come out and sort of a better understanding of how and when this stuff will be enacted is will be good the one thing i think we can't definitively say richie though like the that i know we just talked a lot about this document but there's labor peace in the nba and like you know i know the money is good the money's flying in like Owners are getting richer, players richer, et cetera. Like there have been a lot of strides uh, and certainly the league has grown financially, but like other sports leagues are also growing and are also making more money and are also seeing the value of those franchises increase. But like look at uh, labor relations in Major League Baseball. Look at labor relations in uh, the NFL, which like, you know, the players agreed to a deal that they were advised to not even agree to. And, and hell, just look look at the way uh, in the United States, just like uh, the, the struggles labor has to, to get any sort of like uh, uh, have any sort of like, you know, modest improvements or, you know, any type of like pleasant relationship with with ownership. And so, I, I mean, I'm not trying to compare like, uh, you know, a nurse's union trying to get, uh, you know, overtime pay to you know the nba running on schedule i don't want to necessarily draw that line but just in terms of sports entertainment this is kind of rare and it's good for the fans like if you like basketball there's not going to be a stoppage in play right and um and yeah i just don't think those are things we can necessarily take for granted i can't wait till the first first mid-season tournament and the winning team takes their money that they won and go invest it in another team <laughs> yes <laughs> Heck yes! I, this is the future we've all dreamed of. Uh, this is this is definitely like uh, <laughs> this is definitely someone's vision, I, I guess. Um, yeah. Again, I, I I'm going to be fascinated to see how that. Uh, maybe I'll be surprised, but right now it, it just seems uh, it seems more. I have more questions than answers uh, about about the that the investment, uh, the exactly. investment strategy. Yeah. 
Exactly. All right, guys. We appreciate you guys joining us today. As always, give us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Visit buzzbeat.substack.com for information about our private podcast feed where you guys get ad-free episodes, early access to episodes, typically at least a couple hours beforehand. Also on BuzzBeat Plus, our Substack. I'm going to go ahead and I'm actually in the process of doing it right now and writing a uh, kind of like a report card piece that should be out sometime mid next week. So for Brian, I'm Richie. Take care. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.